Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining us in the Live Inspired Movement. So today we have with us a remarkable, remarkable guest to help us, to inspire us, to encourage, to empower us to live inspired. This guest of ours is an activist and an advocate for women worldwide. She is the founder of A21 Campaign, a global anti-human trafficking organization with offices in a dozen nations. She's the recipient, listen to this one, of the 2017 Mother Teresa Memorial Award for Social Justice. She's an international speaker, author, activator. She's a powerhouse. Today, my friends, I have the pleasure of sharing with you a survivor, a fighter, a mother, and my friend, her name is Christine Kane. Christine, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Hey, John, thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be on the program. We, we hear a slight accent. Is that uh, Louisiana? Oh, come on. This is the Queen's English from one of the colonies. <laughs> <laughs> this is the good old Aussie accent, mate. <laughs> Christine, you, you have such a rem- not only remarkable voice, you have an awesome heart. I first learned of your story, story from my sister, then from all the ladies that I work with. You are extraordinarily well-known. But not everybody listening today to our show is going to know the name Christine. So no, t- give, a, give us a snapshot today of what you're working on and, uh, and why many of my friends do know your name. What do you what do? You do? Okay, well, uh, I think the thing that um, takes up most of our time is that my husband and I um, oversee uh, the A21 campaign, which is um, a global anti-trafficking organization. You mentioned that in a dozen countries, but we just opened our 13th country in Spain a couple of weeks ago. So um, we have 15 officers in 13 countries, and we help to rescue men, women, and children who have been the victims of um, human trafficking, which, you know... uh, is a great tragedy that in our lifetime it's still the fastest growing crime worldwide is the trafficking of human beings and so we are serious about helping to abolish slavery everywhere forever so that keeps us busy you know what 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 animated me to finally demand that you join us on the live inspired podcast is i I met a gentleman just three weeks ago here in st louis and uh, he, he was a beautiful, beautiful guy with a wonderful slight accent. And as I got to learn his story, he shared that at one point in his life, he had been a human slave. And right. I assumed he meant in Africa, which is still completely unacceptable. But as we went farther down the pathway, he said, no, 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 you're missing the point. I was taken from my home in Africa and I was a slave here in the United States. And it, it blew me away to fathom that this is taking place anywhere globally and here it's happening in my backyard and I'm completely unaware of it. So absolutely. Uh, well, it's you know we have three offices here in America. We have one in a, a Costa Mesa on the west coast, in uh, Charleston on the east coast, and um, in DC because of the magnitude of trafficking right here in the United States. We're helping 28 victims right now and 14 children mm. um, on top of that right here in the U.S. And so it is very real happening every day right here. You know, it's it's been said, Christine, that everyone has a story and it's just not the story they share with the world, that, that we are in some regards the results of the experiences, the blessings, the challenges, the tragedies of, of bygone years and experiences. You, you have a remarkable and tragic, and yet it's been redeemed, story. And I, I'd like you to begin uh, where it began for you. Talk sure, about your childhood, you know, Christine. Yeah, I think, um, and obviously a, a lot of my own story is what fuels me um, to help uh, particularly women and children that have been victimized and, um, you know, are trapped. And so I, I think I grew up second-generation migrant Greek in Australia, uh, you know, before my big fat Greek wedding when it was not cool to be Greek in Australia, that's for sure, and very, very marginalized because of my ethnicity in a culture that did not es- 
self-esteem women, um, definitely. Certainly I wasn't encouraged to kind of pursue anything great in life. And pretty much most weeks of my life since I was a, a very, very young child before I went to school, I was the victim of sexual abuse So for 12 solid years, which just... Uh, messed me up. I think that's the best way to word it. I think uh, the shame um, and the anger, the bitterness that comes with being abused, you know, often when you start being abused, you you think what's happening to you is wrong. But when it keeps happening, you start to believe the lie that there's something wrong with you. That's why it's happening. And um, I certainly spent most of my adolescent years believing there was something fundamentally wrong with me and just so gripped and trapped and paralyzed by fear and shame and anger and then uh, John two weeks before my 33rd birthday I found out from my older brother George uh, received a phone call from the government and a document that had told him he was adopted and he called me and I thought there had been some kind of administrative error but anyway we went on to find out that it was true and he went home to confront my mum Um, There was this big family secret for 35 years, and in the course of that day when my brother found out he was adopted, um, my mother told me that I too was adopted. And so, you know, we had grown up, there were three siblings, um, thinking we were all biologically related, but it came to find out that my brother had been adopted from one set of parents, I was adopted from another set of parents, and my younger brother was the only biological child. And it's quite shocking, you know, at 33 to find out that you're not who you thought you yes. were. And um, that was, uh, you know, just kind of another an, another thing um, in my life that just added, I think, a lot to the pain and the shame and the abandonment and the rejection and the abuse. And certainly for me, my own faith story is, uh, you know, in my early 20s, I um, came to faith in, in Jesus. And I would say that is the single greatest defining factor in my life that certainly set me on a trajectory of of dealing with the pain of my past and um, finding healing and wholeness. And out of that, a new purpose in life to really be able to help um, other people that think their life is over and certainly the victims of human trafficking um, feel that way and through my work with Propel Women which is in Mm -hmm. 45 countries um, we certainly help women that have been very marginalized because of their gender um, to really discover who they are and that there is a purpose for their life and that every person has a potential and I think the very fact that I've overcome so much adversity in my own life Um, You know, I have a birth certificate that doesn't have a name on it. My birth certificate says child's name and literally the word unnamed is typed on my birth Mm. certificate, um, number 2508 of 1966. And so I can show people that, you know, you can have been born on the the earth uh, unnamed and just a number and that there is still a life beyond your past and you can rise up above the adversity, the challenges, the obstacles and the hurdles of your past and fulfill a life of purpose and potential. And certainly for me, that that has been my story and hopefully my past can help to give other people a future. That's really what I, I hope to do through sharing my story around the world. Well, you've shared it around the world. You've shared a portion of it with us today. And I'm going to slow you down a little bit because you you shared three, I think, massively important facts. And and we raced through them. Uh, You were the you were abused for a dozen years. Uh huh. You were adopted, which is another big life event. And you did not even learn this until almost three decades into your life. I mean, all all three of these are, are are massive, and all three easily could derail a life before you. I mean, all, all three of them individually, and you had dealt with them collectively. So if you're okay with it, let's just go through this uh, sequentially. Sure. The, the, the abuse. Uh, yeah. This is maybe an unfair question, but abuse almost always happens under the noses of the people that love us most. Absolutely, and I think... Um, in my case, it was that people that my parents had allowed into our home that they should have been able to trust um, betrayed that trust. And it, it often happens, I think, in, in most cases that I know where um, I've spoken to people that have been the victims of abuse, it's, it's, all, it's 
almost without exception happened um, by people that should have been trusted. And, you know, when that kind of betrayal and that violation of trust happens in your most intimate circles, it can really and does mess with you big time. And I think uh, uh, in the world today, uh, um, you know, with the advent of the Me Too movement mm -hmm. recently, I think there's a awakening on the earth that this is just not okay. And I think a realization that this is far wider spread than anyone ever thought. And I think one of the greatest things that is happening is that it's coming out to the fore because it's important that we bring injustice into the light because unless injustice is brought into the light, then justice cannot be brought um, into that circumstance. And so I'm a great advocate of, um, you know, we have to have safe places where we could tell our story and where uh, justice can be brought to the forefront. And um, but also I know, and I, certainly in my case, I can only speak out of my own experience, that it's really been my, my trust in Jesus and my own faith that has given me a life beyond my past. I think I would be um, still a, a, a very angry woman and full of a lot of bitterness and unforgiveness if I didn't learn what to do with that. And certainly my faith has given me um, a pathway to be able to deal with the wounded, the, the wounds and the wounds of abuse are very, very deep. Um, and But I think that I've been able to bring them into the light and that my faith has given me a place to really be able to work through that and to find healing. And I think it's important that we know, and I'm sure people listening to this program today, um, you know, would there be so many listeners that have been victims of some kind of abuse, whether it would be sexual, like it was in my case, or physical or verbal. Um, and all of that damages the soul in really deep ways. And it's so imperative that we learn to find healing and wholeness. But I certainly hope that as people look at my life, they could see that um, anger and bitterness and unforgiveness does not need to be the end of your story, that there is redemption, there is hope, there is grace, and there is healing and wholeness on the other side. It's unimaginable for me to imagine the abuse you went through as a child uh, at home and at the hands of, of the family friends. For, for those who have been abused in any way, who are dealing with anger today, like you suggested, resentment, anger, shame, whatever it is, how, how do you encourage us to deal with that shame and that anger and that resentment and that lack of forgiveness? Well, I think first and foremost, you've got to be able um, to name it. And, um, and I want to tell anybody listening to this that it, it wasn't your fault. And I think one of the biggest lies uh, that you can begin to believe if you don't bring this out into the light and talk to safe people and good counsellors about it is you can internalise what happened to you and um, identify yourself by that. And you have to know you are not what happened to you. And I think it's very important to, to remember that. I think I'm a, I'm a very big advocate of good counselling uh, where you can help to process that pain. I think denial does not help anybody. And denial just actually pushes down the anger and the resentment and the bitterness. Um, and that eventually it's going to come out somewhere. And I think I see that... Um, Oftentimes it's, it will come out that, you know, in that extra glass of wine or maybe popping that extra pill or going from one relationship to the other. And at the end of the, time, at the, end of the day, you're trying to run away from something or numb something or deny something that needs to – it's like a festering wound. It must come out and it needs to be processed in a very safe place and with a really good counsellor. And I think if you learn to do that, um, you're going to find healing on the other side. And, you know, certainly for me, my, my faith uh, really comes into that in mm -hmm. a big way. Um, and I think you need to do whatever you need to do to be able to process that pain and to understand that it doesn't need to be the end of your story. And I think as I've been reading through so many of the Me Too hashtags, um, I think in some of those places, if that's where it ends, just in anger and venting, then you're not going to find healing and wholeness. And that can sometimes cause even more frustration. So I think it's very, very important um, that we go to a safe place where we can process our pain. So you have been processing this pain. You make it into your, your, your third decade of life. 
your brother learns that he has been adopted at one point or another in his past. And then you learn, shockingly, that he's not alone. Take us back to that moment. Yeah, it was um, surreal. You know, I I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Truman Show, but I kind of felt like that moment where you're like, uh, what else is not real? You know, like you thought you're – to find out you are not who you thought you were at 33 is shocking to say the least. Um, Again, because I by that stage had had a firm grounding in my faith – it certainly provided a rock for me um, at a time where I could have really tumbled and spiraled into a deep, dark pit. And so, uh, you know, I, I keep uh, expre- um, really sharing the importance of faith because for me, it grounded me so deeply. Um, but it still is shocking. There's no doubt about it. And again, because, you know, I'd spent my whole life where trust had been betrayed, and that's really what abuse does. It, when there's a betrayal of trust in your most intimate personal relationships, it really sets you up um, in a bad way to, to navigate life because you, you just don't trust anybody or anything. And I think then to find out at 33 that, um, you know, you trusted your parents and you mm-hmm. found out that you were actually lied to for three decades of your life, um, it is a, a huge obstacle to um, overcome, no doubt about it. And again, for me, it was my faith that helped me to um, overcome that because my identity ultimately is to be found in Christ and not even in what my birth certificate said. Um, again, that was a process. It required counseling. Um, I think, you know, I just a couple of days ago uh, released a book called Unexpected, and mm-hmm. I'm excited about the message of and that. And I want to talk so, about that too, yes. Yeah, well, so much of my life is unexpected. That's, <laughs> right. that's the whole point, is that I found out so many unexpected things, but I do also want to stress that the unexpected does not need to take you out. You can navigate um, that, and I think uh, certainly through a strong faith foundation and with great friends and great confidants and great counselors, um, that it doesn't need to be the end of your story. And again, what happens to you does not need to define who you are. And I think that's a, a very big hurdle to overcome um, for any of us. But I would hate anyone to think that the greatest moment of challenge or unexpected news or adversity, I would hate for them to think that that's where the story ends because that's not where your story has to end at all. <sighs> It sounds like you've made peace with uh, this experience and your parents' decision not to tell you. But I'm curious, how is your relationship today with your mother? Well, sure. Well, you know, um, my mum passed away 18 months ago. And so I I start the book with that story that it was my 50th birthday. And um, I was having a great celebration, 150, my, my husband had um, organized a party for me, there was 150 of my friends, you know, lots of Greek dancing, plate smashing, baklava eating, <laughs> like everything you would expect, you know. And then um, I came off, we celebrated my birthday on a boat and I came off the boat and switched my phone on and I found 26 nice. um, missed calls from my brother in Australia. Uh, that had told me that my mother had passed away. And I thought, you know, welcome to life, best of times, worst of times, all at exactly the same time. And that that would be all our story in a whole different way. You know, it mightn't be celebrating your 50th and your mother passing away, but we've all got a story to tell where there was just something unexpected that happened. And I think um, how you cope with that moment um, really determines uh, where the trajectory that your life will take. And so... For me, that was deeply painful, but um, certainly, you know, I had 18 years between finding out I was adopted Mm -hmm. and um, passing away where we had really reconciled. And I I need to tell you, John, that I think for my mummy, even me finding out I was adopted, it was like I could see a burden had lifted off her, Um, you know. A lie, yes. They had made the best decision they thought at Mm -hmm. the time. In Australia, 35 years ago, you know, all the adoptions were closed adoptions. They never thought we would find out. My mum and dad had thought they were making the best decision um, to protect us. Of course, nowadays, you know, the way most adoptions are open adoptions. People know, I think there's a a much healthier way Mm -hmm. um, of doing that. But they did the best they knew at that time. And I think... Um, I could physically uh, see a, a change in her when we found out. It was like something had lifted. And I think, you know, secrets, 
um, I think there's one thing that you, I did find out is secrets do manifest. And um, so you're best to um, hmm. learn how to, you know, disclose things in a safe place um, because I think it's a lot worse when you try to keep a secret and it comes out. It can do a lot of damage to a lot of people. And um, But in my case... And again, it comes back to being rooted and grounded in a very firm faith in Jesus. Um, I think that alone is the factor that ultimately stopped me from spiraling into a deep pit. Mm. Christine, I, I met a woman two weeks ago uh, in Houston, Texas, actually, at a conference. And she came up to me and she hugged me. And then she showed me her hands. And both of her hands were scarred on the inside of the palms that no one else would ever see. As a child, she apparently had touched an oven, third-degree burns, the webbing of the scars remained. And so afterwards, she shared, John, I've, I've been seeing these scars my entire life as, uh, as something to hide. And after hearing your story today, I realized that finally today, I realized they're badges of honor. Yes. I, I share that back story because I, I see this number in front of me, 2508 of 1966. And I would imagine the first time you saw that badge, it was a badge of shame. It, it was a child yeah. being unnamed and unwanted in a poor community in Australia. Uh, yeah, I, it was deeply painful yeah. when I first um, saw that. But then, you know, I, I look at the work that I'm doing now and um, numbers are numbing. Numbers are dehumanizing. It, it is very easy to ignore suffering when it's nameless and faceless. Mm. Um, and so when I throw out, say, a figure like, you know, there are 40 million slaves in the world today, well, you can almost just dismiss that because it's so overwhelming. The magnitude of that number is so huge that um, you just kind of can switch off. But for me, a number is never just a number. It always represents a person, a human being. And I think the very fact that on my own birth certificate I have a number, um, 2508, it just makes every human being more valuable to me. Um, you know, let me tell you the backstory. And for, for some listeners, this might seem a little bit surreal, but when I first received my, my birth certificate, I saw that and it was like a knife in my heart. And I think that we all have an internal tape recorder. That tape recorder started in my mind, you know, see, Christine, no wonder you were abused. You're just a yes. number. Your, your mother didn't even want you. She just gave you away and she just didn't even name you. And I think all of that, we all have that internal tape recorder that just kind of plays. And um, at the same time, um, there's a, a scripture in the Bible, and you know some people may never have read it and think, what, what relevance does the Bible have? But I've got to tell you, th this story is just like, this is how the Bible works in my life. Um, there's a book of the Bible, it's called Isaiah, and there's um, a verse in that that says, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, it says, from the womb of your mother... I have named your name and it was it's God speaking and I was reading that and next to that page of the Bible I had my birth certificate so right in front of me I had two black and white ink on paper just staring at me one was from the government and yes. it said that I was a number that was unnamed the other black and white ink on paper said from the womb of your mother I have named your name. And in that moment, as I looked at these two pieces of paper, both ink on paper, um, I had a choice to make because it would require as much faith for me to believe that my identity was rooted in that document from the government as it would that my identity would be rooted in what God said to me in this ancient book, the Bible. And as I looked at both of those pieces of paper, I literally thought... Christine, you have a choice right now. You can, ha you can believe this one paper that says you're unnamed, number 2508, or you can believe that you have always been named and that you matter to God and that he chose you and that you really are an important human being. You're not here by accident. You're not a mistake. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. And Christine, it's going to take you as much faith to believe one black and white ink on paper right. as it is to believe the other one. The decision you make will determine your destiny. 
And I chose in that moment that I was going to believe what God said above about me, above what this document from the Department of Community Services said. And, um, you know, for some people, they might think, Christine, that's a bit simplistic. But it was literally the game changer for me about which one I would believe and then what I would build the foundation of my life and faith on. And obviously, because I chose what God said about me, well, that took my life on a whole different trajectory. And here I am today rescuing uh, what some people would think are just numbers all around the world, but they are human beings. And so because I chose to place my faith um, in God, it really uh, had tangible um, repercussions for me on my life here on earth. And that, that is what faith is to me. It's not some mystical kind of ethereal pie in the sky kind of thing that has no connection to my reality. Mm. It actually has a connection to my everyday reality and the work that I do on the earth today. Well, let's let's talk about that work and that reality, and not just the numbers. Although we could we could drown in these numbers. Yes. Let's talk about one number. I, I have heard you share before the story. I think the the girl's name is Favor. She uh, was sent to Greece from Africa. She went there assuming that she was going to go into nursing school with the help of her her aunt. Yes. But when she arrived, and you can take yeah. it from here, Christine, she finds a completely different had... story. Yeah, it just, I mean, uh, and I could tell you this story a thousand times, but um, her aunt was, uh, you know, a trafficker and working with traffickers. And after she had brought her uh, niece over and then um, taken all of her documents, all of her paperwork, so now favours in the country with no, you know, paperwork, no passport, no documents because they had been taken from her. Her aunt literally sold her into the sex trade and um, forced her to service up to 40 men a day, which is just incomprehensible, yeah. just horrific. And so this girl um, is now, what was a dream had become a nightmare and a horror story. And um, it, was, it was just horrific. The miracle is that we were able to rescue um, Favor and to put her through our aftercare program and then uh, miraculously to set her up. And, um, you know, she went back to Africa and we put her through uh, university and she's completed her university and um, become a nurse and is now uh, living out her dream, helping um, orphans in Northern Africa. And it's just like a beautiful story of redemption. But that, that horror story of coming over under the guise of thinking she was going to fulfill her dream and then being sold against her will for sex um, is a story that I could tell you all over the world happening every day in the millions. It's just horrific. You share that story, and for me and for our listeners, our stomachs churn. Yeah. And uh, it's easier to turn our back and, and walk in a different direction. What, what, what frees and ignites you to keep moving toward the problem? Uh, it, the stories of favor, and um, I could tell you as many stories. Uh, it, it's the one. It's I keep fighting for the one. I don't um, try to think about the 40 million because I would just be overwhelmed. Um, but you've got to remember that it's one life. And I remember someone cared about me, and um, it made a difference for me. And if I can keep remembering, it makes a difference for the one and for everyone. And, you know, I could tell you stories this week of girls that have been set free in the Ukraine and in Thailand. You know, I've got a child uh, just a few days ago, 18 months, um, and you wouldn't, I could turn your stomach with, mm. you know, just the horror of this uh, this child has a, a broken pelvis because of mm. the atrocities that were committed against this child. But it's for that child. And I keep uh, breaking it down to one and every one we rescue. And then on top of that, every trafficker we put in jail. You know, last week in Thailand, three traffickers, one for 167 years, one for 220 years, and one for 300 years was put away um, because they were running a pedophile ring with 800 children in the, north, the northern region of Thailand. And every time we break those trafficking rings up and put those traffickers in jail uh, for the term of their natural life, I've got to tell you, it just... Uh, vindic it just brings vindication and it makes me realize how worthwhile the work that we are doing. I don't want to just put an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. I'll always do that to rescue the one. But I want to put nets at the top um, that will stop the systemic injustice that allows this atrocity to happen on the earth. 
Talk to me about A21. Yep. And so that's what, you know, we have 15 offices in 13 countries around the world now and um, are helping to educate tens of millions around the world about this injustice. And so I love A21 because it just is a way that everyone can get involved, no matter who you are, uh, male, female, young or old. Uh, there is a place for you um, to to be involved and um, to make a difference. And so we've mobilised people all over the world. We have a global walk for freedom every October. Um, last year it ran in 400 cities of the world. Um, over 50,000 people walked for freedom. And um, I think it just is a, a way that we can mobilise people all over the earth to say this, we must abolish slavery everywhere forever and not on our watch. We, we are not going to let this be our legacy in our generation. Mm. Um, I think we've got to do what it takes, whatever it takes to say it is just not right and we're not going to sit by um, for this to happen on our watch, for human beings to be bought and sold uh, for sex or, you know, slave labor. Um, I am not going to allow that to happen in my lifetime. And so um, A21, I'm seeing it, you know, we're gaining traction um, and we have just recently launched a program called Can You See Me? And you would see this in airports around the world, yes, train yes. stations around the world um, and bus terminals where basically we're helping to educate tens of millions of people around the world. Um, if you see something, say something. And um, we, we're showing them how trafficking exists and how people are hidden in plain sight in our normal everyday life. And I think the more people we make aware, uh, the more we can help stop this injustice. How do you think you shift from us viewing the problem as there, you know, out there or those people to us internalizing it and saying, no, I'm part of the problem and I'm part of the solution? Yeah, very much so. I think we have to recognize this is everybody's sister, everybody, somebody's daughter, this is somebody's mother, this is somebody's brother. Um, and it could be as easily yours as it is anyone else's. And I think in this way, we realize that as a human race, we are interconnected and we are our brother and sister's keeper. And we need to have that responsibility. We can't turn a blind eye because if we keep turning a blind eye, it's going to land on our own doorstep. And one day, you know, right now it's somebody else's brother or sister, but mm -hmm. one day it's going to become our own sons and our own daughters and our own brothers and our own sisters. And so we can cannot pretend that this does not exist and it doesn't there's not a country on the earth where this is not happening so we are all responsible um, to to be advocates in our generation Christine Kane what is one thing we can do to advocate with you yeah, I would say the best thing for your listeners listening to this right now, um, go online to a21.org. We have uh, 21 steps you can take today. Everything from how to lobby your own local uh, representative or different letters that you can write. There are things that don't cost any money that will take five minutes of your time, um, but you can make a difference. And then, of course, you can partner with organizations like ours and other organizations that are out there on the coalface making a difference, get involved in a walk for freedom in your city. I mean, I think if you go to our website, we mm -hmm. have 21 tangible, practical things that won't take you more than five minutes that you can do today to make a difference. And we'll, of course, have a link to that, but it is a21.org. So yes, it's, a, it's a great site. Well, one of your purposes is to communicate effectively to a global community hungry and thirsting for light and for food and for meaning. You, two days ago, launched a book. It's called Unexpected. You're a prolific author, and you do it beautifully. Talk to us about Unexpected. What is it about? Yeah, I think, you know, John, there's no doubt the days that we're living in, especially the last couple of years, uh, so many unexpected things have happened in the world, you know, politically, socially, uh, the moral landscape of the planet is shifting. Um, there's been just so many, there's terror and crime and war and violence and, you know, tsunamis and cyclones and earthquakes. And I, I think uh, people are just like, have been beaten um, and just uh, really bewildered by all the unexpected shifts that have happened. But um, I wrote this book to say, hey, just because everything around you is going cray-cray doesn't mean that you have to. <laughs> Uh, you don't have to go crazy just because everyone else is. And um, I think there are certain things you can expect, um, you know, in the midst of unexpected circumstances. And I think that you can um, 
actually be rooted and grounded in strength and there can be consistency even when there's a whole lot of things out of control in your life. And I think a lot of our values um, and our true north and where we're rooted and grounded, a lot of that is revealed when unexpected things happen. A lot of times we go, well, you know, I just lost control because all this unexpected things happen to me and I'm like no no adversity trials and challenges they mm-hmm. simply reveal what's in you they don't um you don't all of a sudden uh show what's in you when it happens and so I think um unexpected circumstances actually a great opportunity for us to do a self-evaluation and go okay what really is going on on the inside of me where are some areas that maybe I need to strengthen where do I need to be rooted and grounded and of course you know I keep coming back to faith because for me that's that's a lot of it is that um, it certainly helps me in times of chaos and in the very, very, you know, just the unstable days in which we live. It really helps me to be rooted and grounded firmly in my faith and to know that regardless of what's going on around me, there is a rock that is eternal, that transcends any temporal changes that we see on the planet happening around us. I mean, you just look at the news feed on your phone or just hear the latest and it's just easy to go into despair or anxiety or stress. And certainly um, I find that having a strong and solid faith uh, when everything around us is just so fluid and changing um, has certainly rooted and grounded me with great strength. And I hope um, in my book by just looking at lots of different circumstances, things that we face, you know, if face daily. I I received a cancer diagnosis, um, you know, three years ago. I had um, a a tumour between my larynx and my trachea right on my voice box, which, you know, when you do what I do is quite, uh, you know, really... Um, scary in many ways Um, but just you know how do you navigate that how do you navigate a a diagnosis you were not expecting how do you navigate a relational fallout that you were never expecting how do you really you know navigate a financial crisis that you weren't expecting and really at the book in the book I I kind of look at stuff that all of us are confronting relational issues and economic issues and personal issues and spiritual issues and say hey in the midst of a lot of unexpected uh, circumstances uh, you can expect that God is good and he's going to give you direction through your challenges and obstacles and hurdles and I think it's going to speak faith in a in a climate that is full of anxiety and fear and despair and um, I want to encourage people to take risks and and to step out of the boat and step into their future and I think you can only do that from a place of confidence rather than fear and anxiety and sometimes you've got to start doing things uh, you've got to start doing it afraid until you are no longer afraid. Christine, for those of us listening to your heart and your passion and all that you have overcome, thinking to ourselves, you know, kind of like, hey, good for her. I'm glad this woman is lit up and on fire. But that's not my story. It's not my life. It's not my faith. For those of us seated back right now thinking, uh, I don't have her faith. I don't. In fact, I may not have any faith at all. What, what would you say to us? Yeah, I think that's a great question because um, I didn't always have it either. So I think my thing would be just take the next step towards your future. And, um, you know, I think we all have faith no matter what. It mightn't be like my faith, but the very fact that we put one foot in front of the other every day or sit on a chair, uh, we have faith that that chair is not going to fall to the ground. So I think every day we operate in faith um, in different ways. But I want to encourage anybody um, that's feeling despondent. um, And I want you to know that, you know, taking the next step and moving forward, it's not based on a personality type. Like you don't need, you might think, wow, she's got a full-on personality. That's just not who I am. Um, I think it's a matter of just going, I'm going to trust that there is something more than me. And even if you Mm. don't believe in a God, or um, I would just encourage uh, those people to just take the next step and just go, okay, what's the next right thing that I can do? You don't have to stay in that pit forever. Um, I think that Uh, you know, as you take a step forward, you would be surprised by the doors of opportunity that begin to open up for you. And um, you find that you suddenly step into new relationships, you step into new opportunities, and uh, one door leads to another. And you know what, you might just surprise yourself uh, of what Mm. doors you might step through and what opportunities lie before you in the future. 
Christine, I am married, have four kids, uh, an active speaking schedule, a busy Live Inspired podcast schedule, a busy life, and, and, and my wife does too. That There are days, and she'll kill me for saying this, where basically we're turning the socks inside out so we can wear them clean, if you know what I'm saying. We're, I do. <laughs> we're busy. We're busy like everybody else. And then I bump into a woman like you who is on the road 260 days a year. You're married, you're writing, you're in charge of a massive global movement. You have to do a little bit of wash in there somewhere. You probably need to eat occasionally. So my question is, how do you do it all? You know, because I don't really have a compartmentalized life. I say to people, I live a perfectly imbalanced life, um, which means that there are different seasons um, of different areas of high focus. Of course, when I'm in a writing season, um, we're eating a lot of ramen noodles and, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. It's not like a la carte meals. But I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly focused. I live a fairly disciplined life and there's no doubt about it. I look after my health and fitness. But I, um, and again, I keep coming back to in terms of my faith journey, I find that as I, I, I sort of center myself every day, in my case, certainly on my faith in Jesus, um, but I, I, find, I find that being very present in the day, being very focused, um, I, I tend to have time to do all of the important things. And I'm certainly not driven by the tyranny of the urgent. Um, I'm drawn mm. by what's important. And I think, and I have fun doing it. You know, I, I don't feel like I have a, um, I, I, I don't feel like I, I have a life that is out of control. Um, my family, we love doing what we're doing. We, we consider it a privilege to serve humanity. Um, I'm in this together with my husband. We have two daughters, a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old. Uh, you know, we love God and we love life and we love people. And so we keep it pretty simple. And so in that, we live disciplined and planned and organized. But I've got to tell you, we enjoy the journey as we go along. And I think you've got to make sure, especially when you're involved in things that, you know, like when you're involved in human trafficking, there's a lot of pain and horror in some of the things that I have to view and, uh, you know, some of the cases that I read about. So you've got to really make sure that you're enjoying the journey along the way and that you've got some downtime and you've got great friends in your life and great accountability. I've got some very, very wise counsellors um, that in themselves lead very big lives. And so they're able to speak into our lives and give us good direction um, and people that run bigger organisations than me that speak into my life and help me uh, to manage my world effectively. And you just got to realise that you can't do everything. And so I don't bear the burden of responsibility for things that I just can't change. Um, and I realise that I'm, I'm not going to be able to do um, everything myself. And so I lead through people. We have over 200 staff members and, um, you know, I, I, I empower them and let them do what they're very good at doing. And um, I don't feel the full burden of responsibility for everything. I think um, we are all better together. It takes a village. Um, and I certainly don't aim for perfection in everything. I want to make sure I enjoy it along the way. And I do the best that I can. And at the end of the day, you've, that's got to be enough. Uh, within your answer to my somewhat simple question, there are like 13 quotable moments that you just shared, but I'm going to quote one right back to you before we shift gears into the Live Inspired 7. A moment ago, you said these words, I'm not driven by the tyranny of the urgent. I am drawn forward by doing the important. Yes. I think we live in a climate of being driven forward by the tyranny of the urgent. As we get ready to shift gears, so this will be my final informal question to you, Christine. Uh -huh. Help me understand, how do I shift gears from being driven forward by the tyranny of the urgent to being drawn forward, compelled to doing the actually important? Yeah, and I think that's a an ongoing daily journey, but you've got to make a decision to be very intentional about it. It's kind of like, you know, my ship has left the port. Um, the compass is set. I know the due north that I'm heading towards, but the water under the ship is the current changes every day. So I've got to be careful that um, I'm not uh, that I keep adjusting my navigation, my compass to keep me going in the direction that I'm going. 
and that I'm not dragged by the current in the direction of whatever the latest craze is, whatever, you know, so some of that is, John, um, I control how much I'm on social media because I don't want to be driven by whatever outrage is happening today um, on social media. Um, I'm careful not to allow other people's agenda to become my agenda. Um, I think you have to have a very, you have to be able to keep your ego in check so that you're not driven by selfish ambition. Because if my life was just about how much I can acquire or accumulate or amass or how famous I can become, or then everything would be out of order. My family would be out of order. Uh, the mission of our organization would be out of order. So I think you have to keep your soul healthy. You've got to keep your ego in check. Uh, you've got to be accountable. So you've got to know. What is your compass that's going to keep you going in due north, understanding that the current under you is going to be shifting, but you need to know where you're going because mm. otherwise that current is just going to drive you. And I think we live in an outraged society. So if I spend too much time listening to the news or reading social media, I would get swayed every direction and I would end up just constantly reacting to every urgent crisis that comes rather than responding from a place of wisdom based on where I feel called to lead us. Christine, you uh, have given us a gift today, and I want to ask you seven questions as we move together toward the finish line. We call these the Live Inspired Seven, and the first question is, what is the best book that you have ever read? I have to say the Bible, <laughs> because it is, the Bible would be my number one. And uh, another one that is just a, an eternal classic for me um, that really has continued to help me, which is where I got the quote about the urgent um, and important from, is, you know, Stephen Covey's The yeah. um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You know, I, I read that decades ago, probably now, and I uh, keep coming back to it because I think it's just fantastic. What's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you still possessed or exhibited even more so today? Wow. Okay. Um, what did I possess that I wish I possessed more of still? Um, I don't know what the antithesis to this would be, but maybe a lack of cynicism. Um, I think as you get older and you get a little bit jaded. Uh, so I loved, I loved it when I was not jaded. Um, I, very early on in my life, I started to become jaded. So I have to proactively fight uh, to get myself unjaded. Mm. So that would be one that I, I would love to not have to fight so hard to keep. Well, you're, you're winning that fight, so uh, keep, keep fighting. Uh, it is worthy. Question number three, if your house caught fire and all living things are out and you have an opportunity to run back in and grab one item, what's the one item that you would run back in for? Ooh, probably my passport. <laughs> <laughs> what, by the way, what, what passport is it now? Greek, Australian, well, I U.S.? I have an Australian and a Greek one, and I'm going for American citizenship, so I would probably say any one of those three would be great. <laughs> Perfect. If you could sit on a bench on a beautiful, perfect day overlooking a gorgeous beach and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to have that visit with? Mm, okay, because there's so many that just jumped to my mind. But right now, as we're talking, I would love to talk to Billy Graham. What's the first question you would ask Billy Graham? How did you keep your passion alive mm. right through until you went home? And then stepping into Billy's shadow, what, what's his response back to you? Oh, I kept it simple. Love God, <laughs> love people. <laughs> what's the best advice that Billy or anyone else ever gave you? So what's the best advice you've ever received? Remain a lifelong student. Mm. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Uh, chill out. <laughs> chill out. <laughs> Don't be so uh, uptight about everything. It, it will all happen. Christine Kane, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? She stayed the course. Christine Kane, you have 
indeed stayed the course. A, uh, a child who was born unnamed has found her name, has found her voice, and is teaching the rest of us to realize ours matters too. We, we just want to thank you for being on our Live Inspired podcast and for sharing a little bit of your day with us today. Thanks, John. It has been my honor. Thank you so much. My friends, that is Christine Kane. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live Inspired. Well, my friends, I, I forewarned you on the front side that this woman was a powerhouse, and I think Christine backed up that, that commitment, that forecast. She shared so much passion, so much heart, so much drive, so much faith, so much desire, not only to live her best life, but to encourage and to equip as many others in this world to live their best lives, too. One of my favorite quotes that she shared during this show is this. I'm going to say to you again, and if you have your journals open, write this one down. Regardless of your faith background or your lack thereof, what's the next right thing for you to do in order to move, in order to walk, in order to live forward? Regardless of your faith background or your lack thereof, what's the next best right thing for you to do right now in order to move, to walk, to live forward? We all face challenges, all of us. None of us get out of this thing alive. You know, life kind of beats us down. But I think Christine reminds us that in spite of the challenges, we can choose to live in our past or we can choose to utilize the past to propel us forward. And that is an opportunity that I encourage you to grab onto on this day. This is the first day of the rest of your lives to follow this show, to learn more about her book, to learn again more about all of the shows that we've been part of in this Live Inspired movement. I encourage you right now to step online and to check out all of our podcasts, all of our blogs, all of our social media links. It's all there in beautiful order for you to learn more at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Again, it is John O'Leary Inspires. And while you are there, I encourage you to check out all the information we have about our speaking schedule, the book on fire, and what this message may mean for you, for your organization, for your community. If you enjoy these podcasts as much as I enjoy bringing them to you, may I encourage you right now to rate the show. Uh, it, It makes a difference. It helps us get to the next person and then to the next person and then to the next and then to the next. It's going to create a global ripple effect of good. And you are part of that. It's already touching tens of thousands of lives, not only around the country, but around the world. So rate the podcast, comment on the podcast, tell your friends to check out the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. And together you can become part of the solution. Well, my friends, I love you. I so appreciate you spending part of your day with me. So for this time and until next time, this is your friend, John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired.